This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yes, it is Mariner's Pod. We're back. I hope you're enjoying the All-Star break. A lot happening in baseball, of course, with the draft going on, home run derby, all-star game, the whole thing. So we're going to touch on a few things in this podcast. The draft is now over. We're going to get the overall take from Scott Hunter, who's leading the draft for the Mariners. we get more details, too, as we move to the next week or two, learning about some of the guys that the Mariners took. But he'll give us an overall feel for how the draft went for the Mariners. Also, we're going to talk some first half, second half for the Mariners this season with a couple of our favorites, Brandon Gustafson, Brent Stecker from 710 ESPN. We'll get their thoughts on first half, second half as we look ahead to what's to come. So that's going to come up in a few minutes as well. So a full podcast. We have one coming up shortly as well. So we'll have uh, some of our all-star game stories coming up. So a couple of podcasts to get you through until baseball starts back again on Friday. In the meantime, let's hear from Scott Hunter talking about the Mariners draft. I couldn't be more proud of our our staff, our scouts in the field. You know, it's always hard running around the country, let alone doing it in, in a pandemic with travel restrictions, the stress it has on families, wives. Some of our guys had newborn babies. So everything they've done um, to go above and beyond to make this draft class and this draft season uh, to really run, I couldn't be more proud of them um, to get into a season that you have less information than in years past from the field to really put it all together, really, really saw what the Mariners and our draft room is all about, bringing information from our analysts, from our high performance group, from even Dan Wilson, Tony Arnich looking at videos for us. It was really a collective effort, um, but always have to thank and represent the guys in the field that are doing the legwork for us making decisions up here and couldn't be happier and more proud of those guys. It's got, can you just, Walk us through just because, uh, you know, everything's different now with the the no rookie ball anymore. You know what maybe the expectation is for where where guys might go or how you guys might bring them in once you guys do get them signed moving forward. I mean, like, will some of the guys go down to Arizona? Will some of them go to Modesto? I mean, just um, can you walk us through kind of that whole process? Yeah, we're running through some of that stuff now. We are scheduling a mini camp in Arizona. A lot of our guys will head right there for physicals. Um, I believe it's next Thursday or Friday. The guys start flying in physicals over the weekend and start a light mini camp on the 18th, which I believe is Monday of next week. And then we'll we'll assess where they're at. You know, we don't want anybody to really go out and push too hard and risk injury. But I do anticipate a lot of the college guys having a chance if they're in good physical shape, heading out to a full season club where most of our, uh, well, all of our high school guys, I would generally have to venture to guess that they will be in in Arizona really building up and maybe not even touch the field this first uh first summer can you talk about the number of position players you guys took and really a good opportunity to uh kind of get an influx of position players and bats into the system this year yeah we were really aggressive we wanted to go in this year just watching from the sidelines before we started the travel season we saw this draft was going to be a little higher on high school hitters And as you've seen what we've done over the last four years here, we've really done a good job in building our organization up to be not only stable, 
but I would say somewhat thriving if you believe uh, the third party industry, you know, writings that were, you know, one of the higher ranked uh, organizations in baseball. And we were very consistent, very disciplined over the last four years. Um, we set out with a plan to really build the system up, get to a point where we could really be aggressive and start taking some chances and look to build the second wave of, of young talent. Like right now from our high A up through double A, we have some guys that are really coming with, it was a great day to see Cal Raleigh, who we drafted two years ago, already up here in the big leagues, the Logan Gilberts, Evan White's. We do think George Kirby, Emerson Hancock, all these older, not only say older college guys, but our college players are moving through our system fast. So I do think we had an opportunity to take some chance at upside, get uh, some young, exciting, explosive players like Harry Ford and Edwin Arroyo and even Michael Morales, where we can take some time, um, let them grow into who they're going to be, start them out at the lower levels and see how far they run and how fast they run without any expectations of moving them too quick. Scott, it does seem like you guys put a premium on athleticism, even from the pitchers that you take. Uh, just looking at and seeing some of the scouts' comments about some of the pitchers, even how good of athletes they are. Um, is that kind of the look you guys have as athleticism and, and when you're trying to, to, to find guys? Well, absolutely. It's always a part of it. I think you, you always want athleticism. And, you know, we joke around a lot of times is are they athletic or are they athletic in small spaces? Because not everybody has to be a great athlete and run track meets. But, you know, some of our guys like even Logan Gilbert, I don't know if he's going to he's going to sprint down the uh, the fastest 60 time in the building. But when you put him over that rubber, he's extremely athletic. Um, same thing with the guys we've seen. Harry Ford is a catcher, but, you know, we, we've moved, moved, you know, have the idea of maybe moving him around or we've seen him move around. And you just look at what he does in the spaces he he uh, works in, no matter if it's catching it at the plate. You know, the old scouting adage of hand speed, foot speed, and arm speed is always important with what we do in the athleticism part. Um, and that's a credit to our high performance, the integration of our high performance programs into our scouting looks. We're not just a one-sided old school scouting uh, organization or group that just goes in and says, this is what I saw today. I like it. I don't like it. He's an athlete. He's not an athlete. We actually run these guys through harder filters. We have our scouts look in the field. We have our high performance guys looking at video and their biomechanics. And then we have our analysts. Again, we'll get to more of the draft in the coming days as we talk more specifics on guys taken. In the meantime, this uh, conversation with Brandon Gustafson and Brent Stecker from 710 ESPN Keep in mind, this conversation happened before the Angels series. So you may hear a couple of things like, for example, uh, Cal Raleigh at this point in the conversation had not been called up. And of course, he made his major league debut in the last ball game of the Angels series. So just keep that in mind. There are a couple of the details during the conversation, but it's a fun one. I hope you enjoy it. Brandon and Brent, it is great to talk to you once again. Before we start, I think we should do some voice establishments so people know who's who. <laughs> I'm Brandon Gustafson. I'm a writer for 710sports.com. And I'm Brent Stecker, and I'm the editor of 710sports.com. I love talking to you guys, and you guys do such great work covering the Mariners. And I am uh, excited to get your take on – I mean, there's so much to talk about. There's so much to dive into. So let's start just kind of big in general. Your big first-half takeaway from the Mariners – got to be about the pitch, man. <laughs> I think that, uh, I think what you say Kikuchi has done this year, uh, coming, going from, uh, you know, that first year in 2019 was especially rough for him for a variety of reasons. And then last year, his, uh, his basic numbers didn't really match up with what he was actually doing from an advanced number standpoint. And now he's an all-star. He's going to his first all-star game over here, uh, in the States. And that's super, super exciting that he'll be the Mariners representative there. I think that, 
when Marco Gonzalez, who's been just such a key part of this team for a long time, when he went down with that forearm strain and it was unclear how long he was going to be out for and the Mariners were still sticking with that six-man rotation, it was really cool to see Kikuchi step up and become the guy. And even with Gonzalez coming back, he's kept that going. So seeing what he's been doing, Logan Gilbert's had a really nice run here since he's gotten a little more comfortable here in the big leagues. And then the bullpen's just been outstanding uh, basically since day one. Kendall Graveman's obviously been unbelievable for the better part of this year. And then seeing random guys who we didn't really expect, like a Paul Seawald, JT Chargois, those guys. I mean, who expected those guys to be out there pitching high leverage innings in key games for a Mariners team over 500? I don't think anybody really did. And I'll go with the contributions just from all over the team. Uh, before the season, I wrote about how this team is full of X factors and it's really turned out to, to be that way in a way that like I wasn't even expecting. Cause a lot of the X factors aren't the people I was looking at. You've got guys in the bullpen, like Seawald and Drew Steckenreiter. Uh, you've got Jake Fraley, who wasn't really necessarily on the radar coming into the season. Like, yeah, he was, he was in the mix, but nobody was expecting him to, be fourth on the team at in war at midseason. Um, and of course, JP Crawford just breaking out, becoming the soul of the team, like the emotional leader that they really haven't had since Nelson Cruz has obviously been a, a really big development. It's amazing to think about. I think about all they've had to overcome to be where they are. I mean, whether you're talking about Paxton, Marco being gone for a lot of the first half, Kyle Lewis being gone for a lot of the first half. To be where they're at, this is not the path you would have expected. No, absolutely not. I mean, you got Shed Long playing basically every day in left field right now. You're acquiring Jake Bowers from Cleveland, who's giving you key innings at first base and in the outfield when you expected that this time you were going to have your outfield of Mitch Hanniger, Kyle Lewis, and Jared Kelnick. Obviously, that hasn't worked out. So they're getting all these contributions across the board. Brent mentioned Jake Fraley and the, the Norse God of walks, man. I mean, I don't know what else to call this guy. Just unbelievable. It seems like every single game he has that one at bat where either the guy just isn't giving him anything or he's working Oh, two, one, two, and it's a 10 pitch AB. And then he's getting on first base. Somehow it's, it's just really cool. Brent kind of noted it that they're just getting these key contributions from these guys just kind of out of nowhere. Uh, and uh, I think that the outfield's a pretty good example of that. And there's a really big thing about, you know, they haven't had the prospects that you thought were going to be contributing really there other than Logan Gilbert, like Jared Kelnick's still back in uh, Tacoma and Cal Raleigh hasn't come up yet. And those are two guys that I think could really have a part in the story of the second half of the season. And that could, that could be a really big just story overall when, when the season's over. So when I think about the second half, I think about the rotation. That is the thing I think about first. And it feels like in the first half, you've seen you say, as Brandon, you mentioned, who has been phenomenal. He's been so good. Logan Gilbert has really been solid. And Chris Flexen has been really good. I mean, that's, that's a threesome that has been really good. In my mind, if they're going to stay above 500 and be really interesting and hang around they're going to have to find a way to not only get those three guys to be good, but they're going to have to lengthen that out to be consistent in the second half. Yeah. And I think Marco, who I talked about earlier is a huge part of that because even when he's come back, he still hasn't been quite as sharp as we've seen of him the last two or three years. Is he going to be the guy who is 
you know, maybe a top 15 or top 20 pitcher in all of baseball, like we saw last year. I don't know, but 2018 and 2019, Marco Gonzalez was extremely, extremely good. That's a guy who was going out there and giving Scott six, seven innings every single time he was kind of doing uh, what Chris Flexen has done for them, where it seems like every time they give him the ball, you know what you're going to get with him. It's not going to be the flashiest thing. He's not going to go shut anybody down necessarily, but he's going to keep you in a game. And if your offense scores four or five runs, you're probably going to win that game. So I think getting him back on track will be really nice. And then it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Justice Sheffield and Justin Dunn. Dunn's going to be back probably in about two, two, three weeks. Uh, he's on a throwing program right now. And Sheffield has some pretty, uh, notable struggles over his last few starts, which is pretty uh, interesting to see after just how good he was last year. Last year, he was so good at avoiding hard contact and he had an ERA in like the mid threes. And now this year, uh, just nothing's really seemed to click for him like it did last year. So seeing how they handle that, especially if they do decide to stick with the five man rotation, uh, it's going to be big because they don't really have that next guy waiting in the wings. Like they had with Logan Gilbert, uh, the next guy in terms of the big guys, probably Brandon Williamson, who recently got promoted to double a, but Right now, I think he has one or two starts under his belt over there in Arkansas. So it's going to have to be this crew unless they, unless Jerry decides to be active and actually go out and uh, buy an arm. Yeah, that's what I really got my eye on is as the trade deadline comes up, are there some guys out there that they can, you know, send some of those lower level prospects off somewhere and, and get an arm because especially after how justice did on Tuesday against the, the Yankees, they're, they're really kind of lacking for depth there. And that's the one thing that they're going to need to, to keep themselves in the race. I don't know about you guys. I am uh, really curious to see how this trade deadline market shapes up because, you know, you start in the national league and I don't know how many buyers there's going to actually be in the national league, for example, because you look at the race and it's like, okay, you have the NL West, you have three teams in, and then you have the Brewers who are six games up in the central. You have the Mets who are vulnerable, but four and a half up in the East. I'm just wondering when we're talking about this a month from now or less than a month from now, a couple of weeks from now, what exactly this market is going to look like in terms of buyers and sellers. Yeah, and I thought that uh, what Jerry DePoto said on our station uh, last week was actually pretty interesting where there's always kind of been that idea of teams go into the trade deadline with a clear mindset of buying and selling. And a lot of those teams are kind of in a similar situation to where the Mariners are, where it's like, are they a true contender? Are they not? Do they want to go out and sell an established piece like for the Mariners, for instance, Mitch Hanniger? Or do they want to go out and make a trade that will help them not just for this year, but for years down the line, a trade that uh, I know Brent and I have talked a lot about on our website and the people on our station have talked about it a lot is the Austin Nola trade of last year. Nobody expected the Mariners to sell high on this guy who was a minor league free agent signing, who all of a sudden becomes the focal piece of a, of a six, seven person trade. But that that's what happened. And that was a trade that helped the Mariners right away because it got Ty France and Luis Torrens in the lineup and it's helping them long-term because those guys will be around for a while. We already have seen the ups and downs of Taylor Trammell at the big league level here in his rookie year. And Andres Munoz is a really intriguing arm that we haven't been able to see yet as he's recovering from Tommy John surgery. So do they want to go into the trade deadline with that sort of mentality of, Hey, let's wait as long as we possibly can to see what sort of long-term chips fall in our hand that also help us now, or are they going to actually go out there and kind of be the aggressor? Because like you mentioned, aside from maybe 
five, six, seven teams in MLB right now, there aren't a whole lot of teams that seem to want to be going out there and actually buying aggressively right now. It's there's a lot of those teams that are kind of stuck in the middle of the pack and the Mariners are one of them. And that could present an opportunity for the Mariners too to kind of get a jump on everybody. And, you know, if there's an opportunity now to, to add pieces while these other teams are trying to figure out, you know, what they're going to do, that kind of sounds like something that Jerry Depoto would do, but also the Mariners are in a situation where you've got an entire month until the trade deadline comes up and you're four games over 500 right now. Uh, what are you going to look like when you get to the 30th? So are you, are you going to wait? on that and, and make a determination then or are you going to go for it now and i mean i can see both ways but uh knowing jerry depoto there's there's no way to predict it which probably means uh you could see him jumping on something sooner than later yeah and and speaking of just the end of the month i mean that's a time frame where you would expect one or both of jared kelnick and cal raleigh to be up in the major leagues and playing every single day at that point that Mariners lineup that we're seeing in this series right now against the Yankees versus at the end of the month should look very, very different. Does that play into how aggressive Jerry may or may not be at the deadline? That's another factor that I think uh, people are kind of sleeping on a little bit. That's a good point. And Brendan, you mentioned Ty France in that conversation. And I think Ty France has been so solid in the first half and it's, you know, it's too bad. It, clearly fighting through injury for a lot of the first half. And I feel like if you took away that stretch when he was clearly dealing with, with the wrist and everything else, those are some solid first half numbers. And, you know, JP, a lot of other guys get the kind of the headlines of the first half for good reason. I mean, JP has been amazing, but man, he's been solid. What's been your take on what you've seen from Ty in the first half? Yeah, at, at our station, I know Brent and I both like to say it, and Shannon Dreyer does as well. It's Ty can really hit France. I mean, <laughs> that's what the dude does. So it's been really cool to see him kind of as a, as a staple there in the middle of the lineup, uh, especially early on when this team was kind of trying to find its footing before those kind of glue guys really came together, like a Jake Fraley and before Shed Long got, uh, got healthy and J.P. Crawford before he really stepped up in June. Ty, aside from, like you mentioned, when he was first dealing with that wrist injury, he was one of the two or three guys that were kind of making this thing go as this team was trying to really get a grasp on what kind of a team they were going to be, how competitive they were going to be. He's somebody who puts together just quality at bats. And in today's game where you have everybody seemingly being shifted every single at bat, it's cool to see somebody who, even though we've seen that he does have some pretty big in-game power when he chooses to go to that pole side, he's willing to take those base hits to the opposite field. You know, he's not going to wreak any havoc on the bases by any means, but he's somebody who's going to go out there and ideally be one of your key uh, run contributors in terms of driving in uh, guys on base. So it's been really fun to see him kind of coming together, especially as he's gotten more and more healthy. And uh, he's also been playing some pretty good defense over there at first base with uh, Evan White on, on the shelf. So that's something that I don't think is uh, talked about quite enough yet either. Yeah. The thing that's really jumped out to me is that, you know, Ty's been showing a lot more pop lately and he's always shown that kind of Tony Gwynn like ability to just hit whatever's, you know, he hits, whatever pitch he gets, wherever it's supposed to go. Uh, and that's probably going to stick around for a while, but the defense that he's been showing at first base is what makes things really interesting. And he's, he looks like a first baseman. He doesn't really look like a third baseman or a second baseman. And the Mariners have the first baseman of the future in Evan white. And as the, as you know, things go on this year, if Evan white comes back uh, or even next year, that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. If that's going to end up being a race really for who's going to be that position for the future. 
Yeah. And, and going off of that, uh, the DH spot is something that Jerry Depoto's talked about a lot because they have so much high-end talent at the outfield spots that they want to be able to carry four legit big name guys like Kelnick, Julio Rodriguez, Mitch Hanniger, Taylor Trammell. They have some of those other guys like a Jake Fraley and a shed long Jake Bowers. who can play those spots. Zach Deloche is another guy in their farm system that they think very highly of. So being able to keep that DH spot open in that sense is, is something that Jerry's talked about. That's interesting to them. So that way they can maximize that outfield talent. Uh, Kyle Lewis is another guy who's, who's in that spot as well. Uh, so seeing what they decide to do with France going forward, because I think Brent nailed it. Ty France looks like a first baseman. He's not a natural middle infielder. He's not built like that. We've seen a little bit of struggles there at third base, but obviously he's not playing there nearly as often as he would be if Kyle Seeger wasn't on the team, because that dude just doesn't take days off. He does not want to be out of the lineup for, out of the field so i think that seeing ty france's progression and seeing really where they do value him in terms of his defense uh is he a dh only is he a first baseman i think that that's going to be really cool to figure out especially when you consider just how the outfield is going to impact that dh spot so in the second half i'm fascinated to see how the division shakes out i, I think the division overall the west has been better than anticipated you have four teams right now above 500 as we're on the cusp of the all-star break and the Astros, you can make the case have been the best team in the American league. How do you see the division in the second half? Yeah, I, I think that you nailed it about the Astros and they've been super, super hot of late. Carlos Correa is playing like a guy that's going to get a Francisco Lindor esque contract this off season when Coming into the year, some thought he might be the second or third best of that shortstop group behind Corey Seager and uh, Trevor Story heading into free agency. So he's that that's been kind of terrifying to see from a Mariners perspective of just how hot that lineup has been, uh, especially with guys like Altuve and Bregman, the usual candidates. Yuli Gurriel is always going to be dangerous, but Carlos Correa is playing out of his mind right now. And the A's are always going to be that scrappy team that, they don't really always have that clear cut number one guy. Their corner infielders are obviously awesome with Chapman, who's actually been struggling this year, but Matt Olson's been pretty, pretty good as well. Uh, and then the angels, I don't, I don't see the angels being a team that's going to finish at or above 500 or anything like that, but no team is going to want to play them when you're facing Shohei Otani, who's the best player in baseball right now, who can throw seven scoreless and also hit two home runs off of you. Like it's nobody's business and they're going to get Mike Trout back. So you're going to have, the two best players in baseball on the same field at the same time with some other pretty intriguing pieces around them. So yeah, this is a division where really aside from the Rangers, I don't think that any team wants to face any of these other teams right now. The Mariners are scrappy. The A's are scrappy. The Astros have the really, really tough lineup. And then the angels have Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. It's not very fun to face <laughs> in a three or four game series. That's for sure. I think this might be the year where the Mariners going to hang around uh, they might be able to catch the A's. Uh, I just don't see them being a team that's going to be be able to stay away from some kind of swoon later in the season. They just don't seem to be quite as deep as they have been uh, in other years. And that's a that's a big thing for the Mariners if they can just hang around, make make a few moves at the trade deadline that just make them you know fill the holes depth wise. You know this year does kind of look a lot like the years where the Mariners missed the playoffs by you know, five games or so in the last five, six years. Uh, but this might be the year where the A's falter and the Mariners are there to, to pick up the scraps. 
Give me one prediction for the second half. Oh man, I think that I think that Marco Gonzalez uh, in the month of August we will see him return to form again. Not maybe not near not as sharp as he was last year, but I think Marco Gonzalez comes back healthier after the break, and by August he is looking like 2018 or 2019 Marco Gonzalez. And then really you pair him with Flex and Kikuchi and Gilbert, you really only have one spot that you're kind of worrying about at this point. I, I think that I think Marco's going to get back on track here pretty soon. I think he's close. I'll go really optimistic and say that Cal Raleigh shows up and takes off and uh, becomes a really formidable duo with Luis Torrens and the Mariners end up moving on from Tom Murphy because uh, they've got some really interesting, you know, hitting prospects in Torrens and, and Cal Raleigh that can carry the, the catcher position going forward. All right. Well, before you go, tell me what you're working on. What can we find at 710sports.com? Yeah, it's uh, it's MLB draft week, so that that's going to be really fun. We got that starting up on Sunday, so for people interested in kind of uh identifying some names that could potentially be in play when the Mariners make that first pick at number 12 on Sunday, uh we're going to have a few different articles about college pitchers, college hitters, and then some high school kids and obviously Depoto hasn't gone to the high school uh, realm, I guess, uh, during his tenure here with Seattle. But he's he kind of hinted that they're looking more at athletic upside uh, than they have in years past, whereas they've kind of been going with higher floors. So that's a, I think that they might actually surprise some people with that number 12 overall pick. So we'll have some cool names for people to be checking out the, throughout this week. And uh, keep your eye out, too, as the trade deadline comes up. We'll have plenty of stuff on that, predictions and stuff like that. We've already got a really good post from Mike Salt uh, this week looking at four names that the Mariners could possibly go after that are uh, big veterans. There it is, two of our favorites. And again, I encourage you to check out their work at 710sports.com. That's going to do it for us, and we'll see you next time on Mariners Pod. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.